You know, it's quite something to walk in a righteousness, in his righteousness, right? Holy. You know that Jesus made us holy? He gave us his holiness. There's certain denominations that say, no, 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 you don't get holiness. Only certain people are called holy. Only certain people become saints after a few hundred years or whatever. No, Jesus, we were given his holiness, his robe of righteousness. Praise God, man. Man, but to, but to activate that, man, I tell you what, you can so easily take on guilt. You've got to watch that. You've got to guard yourself from being that, 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 that truth being stolen from you because you do have to watch yourself. You do have to watch yourself. It's so easy to pack on that guilt and shame because that's what people are pointing at you and whoever. Amen. And often, sadly to say, it's religion. Often it's religion. That is not godly religion, my brothers and sisters. That's not godly religion. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, that was, a speci- that was just a bonus. Let's move on. <laughs> no, thank you, Jesus. You're so good to us. Um, I do want to mention this because, you know, I'm, I introduced Bert to you um, last week. Bert is a, uh, an, a, an old friend from South Africa. He's got a history in television. And um, this is part of a, a, a vision that we've, we've, been, we've been wanting to increase. We have, we've struggled in our media department. If, if you've ever tried to watch us online, sometimes we've been kind of hit and miss with start times and technology and different things that we've, we really feel like in obedience to the word of the Lord. Some of you remember the Lord spoke us to us that very common word of um, what was about 18 months ago or so um, from Isaiah 54 verse 2 and 3 where it says, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left, and, to your, off- and your offspring will possess the nations and, and, and will people the desolate, the, the desolate cities. I wanted to remind you of that word because that was a profoundly direct word that the Lord gave us. And I, I, you know the story of those of you who remember, I discounted it because that's a very common word to get given. So I like anybody who's heard it before, like, yeah, yeah, right. But after I was given it three and four times and I had different phone calls from different people telling me, Shannon, I believe this is the word of God to you and to Lake Haven. I started saying, okay, Lord, so how do we do that? How does that, what does that look like? Because we're, yes, sir, we will. So what are we doing, right? So in, uh, in obedience to that, this is part of that. What, what you know, um, Bert, just a shout out to him though, because Bert, Bert's left, you know, he's got family back in South Africa and he is investing here. He is a kingdom hearted guy. And so um, he knows this message. I know him well. We've spent hours and hours on phone call conversations across the years. I know, I know what he is. I know he's got a phenomenal giftings. And it's going to take a little while for us to, but you're going to see some of the fruit in a couple months here. We're, we're buying up some, yes, we're spending a few thousand dollars on equipment, but it, it, we're just going to get rolling. We're not going to waste a penny, believe me, but we're going to get there to help you and to up many, many others. And you're going to see, I, I believe, you know, so pray with us. Will you do that? You know, you know we have that on our giving boxes, grow. And, and grow is a, is a foundation of everything in the, in the Christian life. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean numbers, but it means numbers too. But there is just, there is a growing here that, um, that God is pre- telling, telling us in the scripture that we've got to lengthen our cords and strengthen our stakes. And so we will. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So we, we just... Uh, we just set our intentions that way and <laughs> buckle up. 
<laughs> Buckle up. Oh, yeah, 5.9. There you go. Um, yeah, hallelujah. You know, I, I started a, a series um, a couple of weeks ago called Rightly Divide, and this will be the third part. And, and it's, it's on the foundation of a series before that called Manifest. And, you know, I kind of build pieces in to where, where we're going as, as, a, as a body. And, and so I, fi- I want to reiterate, please, please, please listen to the messages, whether you download the audio, if you miss it, or you're on vacation, or you're away. I want to encourage you to get it. You know, have you ever walked into a movie theater halfway through it, or, or maybe gone through to somebody's watching a murder mystery on TV, and you're in the kitchen doing something, and you come through, and you, you want to find out what the missing part is. But if you only, if you only came in at minute five, minute seven or minute 27 and minute you you can't find out who done it right you've got to know who done it you've got to work it out you've got to follow the movie and so i want i want to i want to encourage you that god is taking us on a journey none of us have arrived we're all on a journey but he is building something here amen so um in that manifest series we we, we laid a foundation of of jesus he is the word of god he is the very logos of god he is the manifest character and nature of God in the flesh. You can take a look and read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can say that is what God looks like. It is the number one foundation for rightly dividing the Word of God, to look at the Word of God, the manifest Word of God, the Logos Himself, and see how He operates. He wasn't the kind nature of God. He was the very express image of God. Amen. We also looked at scriptures in that, in that previous series where it said God cannot lie. And he doesn't change. He is immutable. He does not change, okay? So that was the foundation we started this series on. And then we got into, and we, we started getting into to rightly divide. And, and, and um, it, is, it is important for us to, and we'll, we'll, we'll pack out that same scripture and we'll get to it in time here. But I do want to, I do want to move along here because, um, you know, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hands here, but do, or just, or just a, a, a question here, do you, do you really love reading the Bible? Do you love it? I, and I mean, I, I'm going to ask you to ask yourself that question, because I can honestly tell you that I, under the religious obligation that I grew up under, or, or what I felt from certain things, I felt obligated to read the Word of God. I was told I would ought to read the Word of God. I better read the Word of God. You should be praying. You should be doing your, you should be, you ought to be. And you know, obligation is a terrible motivation. Fortunately, we have a love relationship with God, as we're going to see. And there is no obligation. It's not what we ought to do. Because I tell you what, I felt obligated. And thank God, it's still important for us to, to read the Word of God. But as you know, God built into us, and this is a God thing, people. Just say God thing. He built into us an, a, a desire for pleasure. That's a God thing. He also, we have enough smarts around us to understand that we should avoid pain. And pain and pleasure are one of these two great motivators. When you understand that we are drawn and will always gravitate, listen carefully, to what you believe will give you pleasure. I'm going to say it again you will always ultimately gravitate to what you believe gives you pleasure. You will always get back to it. You see, but the world tells us, this is pleasure, this is pleasure, this is pleasure, this is pleasure, and it names a whole bunch of things that is pleasure, which are actually not pleasure. 
But we believe they are, and while we believe they are in our hearts and we are persuaded of the truth that that will actually ultimately give us pleasure, we will ultimately end up living in either a struggle to not be there or we will ultimately end up there. Why? Because we believe, incorrectly so, that that will give us pleasure. But too often, us and every one of us who have any, any mileage in life and experience will know that ultimately, if you get that, it's going to destroy your life, hurt you, hurt other people. It's going to kill you. Sin, the wages of sin is death. Sin is missing the mark. Sin isn't just the good stuff that God has, has labeled. So understanding, you know, that, that, that he never took the good stuff or the fun stuff or the pleasurable stuff and said, let me call this sin. No. No, 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 no. He designed abundant life for us to live. And, and so, but we are the ones that have to start seeing things differently. We, have the ones, we are the ones with the responsibility to renew our minds, to understand what really gives pain and what really gives pleasure. And when we understand how to, to actually change our minds to repent, to repent is simply to change your mind. To, to renew our minds, to see things the way God sees things, to, to, to operate the way He sees things, then suddenly we're like, oh, I guess that isn't so much pleasure. And that causes pain. And then when we start, you know what, soon enough, you know, the, the, you, you change. So, so the change happens as you align your heart and belief system with truth. Transformation, as we studied in certain series, is the, the very different from change. Transformation is, in a sense, effortless because you're not working at the thing. You're working on your heart. You're working on your belief system. When you understand who you are in Christ and you understand who your identity is in Christ and you understand all these truths and your heart starts aligning with truth, with the way things truly are, all these things start falling into place. Jesus said it simply this way. He said, clean the inside. Worry about the inside, just worry about the inside and the outside will be clean automatically. But you see what religion teaches is behavior modification, right? Pull up your socks, try harder, do this, read your Bible. Is it wrong to read the Bible? No, 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 it's a necessary part. But the problem is the motivation. When you corrupt the motivation and you feel it's under obligation, then suddenly it's, yeah, you, you don't want to do it because I have to. It's that rebellious streak that, of our sinful nature that rises up. And the Bible says it this way. It says that law is actually the power of sin. When you create a law, you actually strengthen sin. That's another, we've got to get to that law thing, which is, have to do another thing. But I want you to understand that, that there, there is... There, there is, I can honestly say now, I'm passionate about reading the Bible. I love reading the Bible. Because it, it, it ministers to me. I know I can remember so clearly reading the Bible, you reluctantly, but reading it, and I constantly felt beat up. I, fe I constantly felt like there was that scrawny, mean old teacher with her finger, bony finger, sticking her finger in, you know that, you know that accusing kind of, that's how I kind of felt when I read the Bible. All I saw was how I was missing it and what I should be doing. And, and, and so that negative association gives you, it doesn't, it makes you want to not do that. But, <laughs> but when you, 
repent, you change your mind when you, when I, and I use the word carefully there, because when you change your mind towards, to see how things, God sees this and you find, oh my gosh, my motivation has changed, then suddenly this gives me pleasure. This brings me freedom. I, I'm finding liberty. I'm, I'm opening the Word of God, and it's like Technicolor, Hoberman's view, like, <gasps> and, and my hair stands up, and I get all excited, and my start, heart starts racing, and I feel peace. I feel peace. I don't care about Facebook or what everybody's saying or whatever's going to be, who's going to be president or not going to be president. I don't even care if you shove a gun in my face. I do not care. I do not fear, I can tell you, because I've been, I've been in Africa with, with witchcraft and things like that. I'll laugh at some witch doctor in their face. I'm not afraid of demons. Not if you brought every demon and every one of you started manifesting, I'd laugh at you. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. And that's not because I'm superhuman or anything. But I just, I've learned, my heart has changed. I've worked at my heart. I believe things. I'm not afraid. Why would I be afraid of a demon? Why are we afraid of this? I, don't, I also don't jump around and try and cast out every demon. I've learned that lesson. You don't cast out every demon. But that's another day, another story when we talk about the devil, which I don't like talking about, but sometimes it's fun just to poke fun at him and... A lot of Christians give way too much credit to the devil. Way, way, way too much credit to the devil. We, if when we get Jesus, yeah, let me just try and get to my scriptures. Second <laughs> uh, Timothy 2.24. Um, we touched on the scripture before. I'm going to read it out of the King James Version over here. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, must be gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves, if God peradventure would give them repentance to the acknowledgement of truth, that, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. When you, when you, I don't want to spend a lot of time breaking the scripture down, uh, down but, but in verse uh, 25 there, he says, if God peradventure will give them repentance, change of mind to the acknowledging of the truth, then they will be basically recovered. They will recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who has been taken captive by him at his will. You see, one of the devil's greatest devices is it's, it's his almost his last, his last little bit of ammunition he can use against you is Scripture. Yeah, yeah, the devil will use Scripture. And, and if, anybody, if you don't read the Scripture, if you don't have rightly divide the Scripture... You can be a sucker for when he uses Scripture because, oh, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. You know that that's in the Bible, right? And so, um, you know, and Jesus said this in John 16, He says, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. I want to just stay there because what the Word said is we're talking about His Word. He spoke the Word. He is the Word. The spoken Word is the rhema Word, but well, that's He said. He said... The words that he speaks will bring peace. It will bring peace. Will bring peace. His word will bring peace. Remember the, the, the temptation of Jesus in Luke 4. Remember, remember the Satan comes to him well after the, he's been out there in the wilderness for 40 days and he's kind of hungry and, and, and he starts tempting him, turn these rocks into bread. And, and he says, How does Jesus start? It is written. Man. If only we just cottoned on to this a long time ago. It is written, 
Jesus always went to Scripture, but he knew how to rightly divide Scripture, right? Because first he says, it is written, right? And he goes into, man shall not live by bread alone, etc. And he goes into this. And then he, then he says, you know what? It shows him the kingdoms of the world, right? And he, Oh, sorry. No, no, no. First, he says, throw yourself off the temple. That's right. And then he said, oh, no, 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 it is the kingdoms of the world. Sorry, I'm getting confused here. He's, he shows him the kingdoms of the world, and, and Jesus says the same. He says, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give this all to you. And he says, it is written. He uses the word. He uses scripture. So then the day, Satan's got one last trick up his sleeve. And then he says, and he says, well, cast yourself down out of here, off this temple. And he says, because it is written, and he quotes him two scriptures. And Jesus replies, it is said, it is said, and he goes into reply. You see, you see, Satan will use scripture, and if you, if you get, if you don't know how to rightly divide the world of God, because you've got to understand the character and nature of God, because you could take that one scripture out of Psalm 91 and say, oh, well, you see, you can't, nothing's going to befall you because the scripture says that this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And you're, you're not going to strike your foot against a stone, etc. So you're safe. But that's not how you divide scripture. Now, I, I must, I must by in clarity, for clarity's sake, say this particular series, I could carry on for a little while because we have got to apply filters for as we as we divide the Word of God, as we understand, if we're going to see the Word of God as clearly as we want to, as Jesus does, and we're supposed to, then, then we've got to apply some filters, right? Um, it, but in, um, um, I, before we get there, let me just let me get to the filters. Remind me if I forget, sweetheart, anybody else, you know, because otherwise I've come. But in John 8, 31, 32, Scripture you know well, Jesus says this to those who believed Him, if you abide in my Word... You are truly my disciples. Listen, just go back there, Christine, just one step. If you abide in my word, very key, very key. If you, it's very conditional. If you abide, settle down, make yourself at home. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then the next scripture, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I see everybody quotes this piece. Even people on TV in Hollywood use it in their movies. Well, the truth will set you free. Just truth will set you free. That's not what it's talking about. Truth won't set you free. Not any truth you think it is. You've got to, underst- you've got to be abiding and connected to the Word of God. You've got, to, the word is, you've got to be infused and in understanding the Word of God, right? So it's very important that, that you understand in context that as you abide in the Word of God, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay. I like this, um, this out of message. It's been a long time since I read it, and the Lord reminded of me. Um, but it's in the, in the parable um, where Jesus spoke about the wise and the foolish builders, right? And he, speak, and he says the wise builder was the one who builds his house on the rock. He's the guy that hears the word of God and puts it into practice. The one who builds his house on the sand is the one who hears the word of God but doesn't do it. And he says when the storms of life come, and we all know storms of life come, everybody is experiencing you can prophesy the storms of life are coming. You can write it on your bathroom mirror. The storms of life are coming. See, you just got a prophecy this morning. You know, you got a warning. The storms of life are coming. Jesus said when the storms of life come, he says if you've got your house built on the rock, you'll be fine. So you've got to be a, 
abiding in the word kind of person who gets the word settled in their heart and becomes a doer of the word. And that, that is a whole context that I really don't want to go into. It doesn't mean a legalistic obedience. It means an understanding of performing or putting it into practice in, in, in all its multidimensional parts. Okay, so I don't want to go there today. But listen to this in Matthew 7, verse 24 out of the Message Bible. He says this this way. He says, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on a rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies or church services and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. And when the storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Not incidental additions, right? So, so God is trying to help us here. This, these are words of love. These are words of love, people. He's saying, guys, don't you want to be ready for the storms? This is it. D- work them into your life. I like that. Work them into your life. Norman was giving an illustration about baking a cake the other day to me. He's like, you know, when you make a cake, you don't just randomly throw all the ingredients, girls, ladies, who bakers, Right? You just say, oh, it takes eggs, throw that in, throw that in. Doesn't even, even in the right quantities, you can't just all mix it up, right? You've got to work it in. Each piece takes an, an application. And it's kind of like that with the Word of God. There's understandings that are built on. And when we do D group, and T does D group, and we go and study Hebrews, the foundations in, in Hebrews 6, and it says, by this time, you ought to have gone a little further, right? By this time. You need to know this, uh, but you're still. You, but he goes into some foundations that we need to know, and there are things that that we we will not have a, a a good a good foundation unless we work these things and get some grounding in our life. So, I, I, I'm I know I'm belaboring this point, but but because when we're talking about this topic about rightly dividing the Word of God, if we don't understand the filters that we approach to when we read the Word of God, when you sit down with your Bible. You, you've got to be able to, to say, oh, okay, because if you, how can I put this this way? Um, uh, when I've, had, I've had some friends and people that I love dearly um, get, uh, first they, they want to just apply themselves and they want to jump in the Word of God. And so they start and they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to start in Genesis. And, and I'm like, I know what's coming, you know. Because there's the story of Genesis, and then, and it's good to get that as as a feel. But they they like super determined, and they're going to hit Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, and it's all coming down their way. And they're going to have hundreds of thousands of rules and laws and this, and people are going to be stoned and blah blah blah, and lightning and blah blah blah, and floods and like it's going to be whoa, you know, you know. So I'm like, you know what? Just chill. Just let start in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A lot of people say John. Get an understanding. Why? Because Jesus is the very written Word of God. He's the express image of God. See Jesus and you see God. You're going to get the foundation, right? You know, but, but as I said, you know, rightly dividing it, it's so important. So um, last word, uh, last, sorry, last week, um, we went through the, the foundation of understanding covenants. Now, my, before I get into, just to get touch on the Second Timothy 2, and I'm going to read it um, out of the Amplified Bible. Study and be eager, do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, 
tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Okay, now, I am going through that quickly, but because we unpacked that in the very first one, but you are not studying to show God that you're approved. You're studying to show yourself that you're approved unto God. It's not your study. It is, it is your study, it's, but you're studying to show yourself. You're not earning approval because as we, study, as we read in Ephesians 1 verse 6, we have been made approved. We are approved unto God. Okay. Sorry? Correct. Learning, not earning. So that, I like that. It even rhymes, babe. So, so, it, it is, is it, so it is profoundly important that there are certain filters that we understand. Now, we spoke about the filter right in the beginning of Jesus' life. Powerful, powerful filter. I love that. I, I don't know why I never heard it when I was growing up. It's like, well, listen, if you don't see, you, can, you have to, no matter what you, from Genesis to Revelation, you have to apply the filter of Jesus' words and Jesus' lifestyle, how Jesus did stuff, what he said. You can apply it when to your understanding. If it doesn't line up with Jesus' words, if it doesn't line up with Jesus' expressions, how he dealt with people, then you're not understanding it right. Now, you just got to settle that. And it's okay on this journey. Let me get the understanding. This is the problem we have with intellect. We have this, this, uh, this little baby mindset. If I don't understand, I am just going to throw the baby out of the bathwater. If I don't get it, then I'm going to throw God. This whole God thing is a bunch of baloney. That's how so many people do it. Because they say, they, with their three and a half pound brain, say, I've got to understand all the mysteries of God and the eternal creator. And if I don't get it right the first time, then I'm just throwing this whole religion thing to the curb. And sadly, we get labeled with that as a religious thing. But you know that the scripture tells us it's by faith that we understand, which means that understanding grows in time. There, you've got to be prepared to not understand everything. But you've got to be able to understand, because there's things that, concepts, that foundations that are going to come. Patience. You know, I mean, where, where in life do you have, my daughter's not even 15 yet, but she can't wait to drive a car. <laughs> Patience, sweetheart. The day is coming, you know. You can't give a child a car or anything like that, right? There's time and everything. Would you, are you glad that there is a process for your surgeon to have passed through by the time he's spent 10 years in medical school that he's done he's done a bit of work through that are you kind of happy that he's that you're not you know it's not Ethan with the scalpel <laughs> you know, you know, you know. so you, we, 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 it's normal in life for us to understand that in the natural everything grows no doctor even even I can tell you I worked with doctors even when you get your nice little medical doctor's degree that's only that's only when you start practicing. <laughs> That's only when you start, you, you start working, you start training, you start figuring things out. You, you, there, is, there, is a, there is an understanding we didn't know that this is a growing thing. It's a journey. It's a journey. But if with faith and patience, patience is just be prepared. As long as you're teachable and walk the walk, walk the road, and, I mean, be genuine, have good connections. The Bible talks about having 
walking with the wise. He who walks with the wise grows wise. The companion of fools comes to ruin. Hang out with good people. That's what God says. Unless you want to hang out with fools and come to ruin, that's your choice because he's warning you, you know, and you're like, no, no, I'm going to hang out with fools. You know, you fall off. And then we've got, why is God doing this to me? Hello? I, 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 oh, well, I don't read the Bible. Oh. Oh, okay. Why? Well, because I don't like reading the Bible. It takes up too much time. Okay. You, you, you see, if we don't develop a passion and a desire and, 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 and get this, 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 this weight of understanding, listen, I, I, this is life to me, life to all their flesh, it says in Proverbs 4. Healing to all their flesh, the Word of God. He sent His Word and healed them as they studying in the healing school. Man, we can have everything for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. How do we get knowledge of Him? Through the Word. Through the Word. Through the Word, through the Word, through the Word. So, so as I said, I'm, you know, I, I know we went through um, the, the, the foundation of uh, last week. We, we, we spoke about, um, um, you know, deciding or understanding the old new covenant. To me, that was a, a, dramatic, a dramatic sort of watershed for me to understand that there was actually an old covenant and there is a new covenant. Because if you don't understand that covenants, God is not the one who's changed old to new, and I defined all of that last week, but he, the way He deals with humans and has had to change over the covenants. Okay? Now, He's not going to be another covenant. We're living in the blood of the eternal covenant, the new covenant. So what we are blessed to do is we don't have to walk through the confusion of the, of the New Testament church. Thank God. They were, old, they were entrenched in the old covenant. They had old covenant thinking. They didn't understand. Look, Jesus said, hey, listen, there's going to be a new covenant. And, it's gonna, and, and I, like I said, there is so much exciting stuff to study an old and new covenant. I, I love to do a series with you. And I'd love to do books with you and do Bible studies, whatever it is, because it is so powerful. But listen to this. In, in, Rome, in, sorry, in Matthew chapter 5, and I'm just going to touch on this before moving on. Um, let me just see my time here. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, Jesus said. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, he said. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Until all is accomplished. And then he said, in John 19, after this, verse 28, Jesus, knowing now that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge of, of sour wine with hyssop branch, held it to his mouth, and when Jesus has received the sour wine, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, when, what Jesus never um, trashed, threw away the old covenant. The law, the law, but the law is not in effect any longer. And like I said, we've got to, there's so much we can study, but there's, it is copious. The whole book of Hebrews is, is, is dedicated to it practically. 
book of Galatians is dedicated to it. Most of the book of Romans is dedicated to it. This understanding that the law is no longer, even we, one of these scriptures says, uh, we'll get into here in John, where it says that, that Moses, the law came through Moses, but grace and peace came through Jesus Christ. So there is this, when Jesus says, it is finished, the old covenant, God's way of dealing with us changed. Just like a change from Abraham's, as I went into, way Abram had a covenant with God and actually still does have a covenant. That is an everlasting covenant. And we'll, when we study covenants, we'll see that is an everlasting covenant of blessing that we step into in Jesus. And when the Mosaic law came, things changed. And God, how dealt with, with mankind through the law and why the law came and how it was our guardian and how it was our overseer. So I don't want to, I know I'm chasing concepts here that maybe some of you are familiar with and some of you have never heard before. But when you understand covenants, you see, oh, okay. That in those days was how you could get righteous. That is, if you kept, and even the law, by keeping, you, nobody could keep the law. That's why there were sacrifices. The sacrifices themselves pointed to the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Hence, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The sin of the world has never been taken away from about until Jesus. Guess where the sin is now? It's a trick question. You're going to have to think about that. Tell me. If it's taken away, where did it go? Have you thought about that? Was it taken away or wasn't it? Good question, right? Hmm. Hmm. So Mark 15, Jesus, and this is, this is that same incident, but in, in the other three Gospels, except for John, it writes it as, when Jesus uttered a loud cry, it doesn't say it says it is finished. It says Jesus uttered a loud cry. Only John heard, according to the four Gospels, Tetelestai, it is finished. Jesus utters a last cry and breathed his last. And then guess what happens? You, you remember what happens? Next verse. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. He said, it is finished. And the curtain, the holy of holies, that veil where God was in, where the, where the Ark of the Covenant was, that big veil that had angels em, embroidered in gold on the veil. God dwelt with man and fellowshiped with man with the Ark where they put the blood of the, of the sacrifices on the mercy seat, right? Once a year, the, the, the high priest alone went in there, put the, the blood of the sacrifices, and, and atoned for the sins on the day of atonement. All of that stuff. So Jesus utters that it is finished. God is no longer behind a veil. No, it is no longer in the Ark of the Covenant. No matter what Indiana Jones thinks. Nobody's face is going to melt off if you ever do find the Ark of the Covenant with your eyeballs popping out. and I don't know if you remember that was quite a scene. No. No, God is no longer in the holy of holies, but that was all just, it says it very clearly in Hebrews, these were just a shadow. They were an earthly shadow of what the reality in heaven was. And then it talks about the mediator of a new covenant, bringing his eternal blood into the heavenly holy of holies, the heavenly mercy seat, and for once and for all dealing with sin. Once for all. 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 
not just to the 1100s, 1200s, but past the year 2022, 23, 24, ever, in the ages, plural, to come. Powerful. So that was my exit for the last week. Now let me start on. (laughs) 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 Sorry. um, So I mentioned this, John. You know, grace, the new covenant is, uh, so new covenant is how God deals with us today. That's why God deals so mercifully. That's why when a murderer like Hitler um, does something, he doesn't struck dead. Because people say, oh, God, the judgment of God. And me and we can spend a long time studying this and talking about this. But God doesn't strike people dead anymore. I know we can get into that. And some of you are going to, we can pull up and we can study Herod. And we can study Ananias and Sapphira. But I can tell you what, there is a truth here that God deals differently with us since the cross. Amen. And I know I've said words that are going to be plaguing you. Okay. So grace and truth, it says here in verse 16, from the fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one, here we see it again, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. So that was in John 1. Then um, then I want to spend just the next few minutes in wrapping up something we speak a lot about here. Our number one thing on the top of the board, we say reaching people with God's unconditional love. But the, the filter we have to apply when we've grasped covenants and we've understood, now I can read my Bible and I can see, okay, covenants is a, is a, is a foundation. When I've got the covenants understanding built in, like what is new covenant? What does it mean to be in the new covenant? Does the new covenant mean that I can just go ahead and sin? You know, those kind of questions because a lot of people jump in the new, co- new grace and they think, oh, well, that's okay. Now I can go and sin. Paul had to deal with the same thing. It's, he's like, dude, the light's not on if you're, not, if you're thinking there. You know, sin is going to bring pain. It's going to bring destruction. If you like playing with sin, you like destruction in your life, carry on. But then don't blame God or wonder why your life is falling apart. Because sin will bring death and bring death to relationships. It will bring death to your mind. It will bring death to every piece of you. So... But once you've figured out the whole old new covenant, how to read the word of God through the covenants and say, oh, okay, so that's why this happened in the old. And, oh, that's why we shouldn't just jump back and forth in new and old covenant. And you'd find out, oh, my gosh, a lot of preachers I'm listening to on TV actually don't really have a big grasp on that. Yes, they've got lots of money and they've got lots of people because they're definitely better speakers and more eloquent than I am. They can even probably do a TED talk and get thousands of dollars for it because they are very eloquent. Good for them. But if you don't understand covenants, (laughs) you won't even get a clear understanding of the Word of God. And if you don't have a clear understanding of the Word of God, then how do you keep yourself from bondage and being set free? Because only abiding in the truth can bring freedom. There's a lot of those preachers out there that are bringing bondage. Why? Because you're getting wrapped up in scriptures. You've got to learn these things. You've got to pay attention, people. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. The next, the next filter, as I said, is, is God's love. God's love is, to understand that God loves is a foundation. And let me, let me, 
to study, to understand the intention of God for mankind is, is one of the things that is a, God, remember, doesn't change and he doesn't lie. Remember, we've spoken and set that foundation extensively. When you see God's intention most clearly in the garden of Eden and in heaven, God created the garden in, right in the beginning for Adam and Eve to dwell in. There was no sickness, disease, trouble. Nobody was breaking anybody's legs to teach them a lesson. And there weren't diseases around there. There was God's will for mankind was revealed in the garden. That's where you see it. And ultimately, when you see the new heavens and the new earth, you see God's plan. Is there going to be hospitals and insurance policies and everything and lawyers in heaven? Well, I'm probably some lawyers, I don't know. But I mean, it's just I, you know, but I mean, legal system, legal system, politics, politicians. Uh, yes, some of them. Uh, no, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, but I'm saying, but, but if you see heaven, you see God's intention. There isn't a, there isn't a there, you know, again, people don't grasp this because if you look at a, hear a lot of religion, they, they think God is causing death and destruction. Are you, uh, you know my peeve with God is in control because, yeah, let me not even say that. You know me. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that again another day, but, but, but that it just shows you that if, if you don't understand God's intention for mankind, God's intention was to have it in the garden. We've got this tick view of God that like he's, this, he's like seething. He can't wait to blitz people. That's why, man, you see it in the Old Testament, right? Wait for the flood, boom, you know, or wait for, you no. Know, and and, and this, this understanding is so devoid of the love of God. When you start seeing the love of God and you find out the truth of that God is love, it doesn't say, listen very carefully, it doesn't say God likes to love. God prefers to love. God actually likes to love more than he, it, 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 it doesn't say that. God is love who is, is who he is. Love is the very core nature of God is love. And that's why 1 Corinthians 13 says and describes who God, part of the character of God. Understanding love is patient, that it is kind. How does that say it? Um, let me pull that up quickly. And I like this in the NIV. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. It does not boast not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. How many people tell you God's angered easily? Or do you have an understanding that God is easily angered? Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. What does that mean about God? Does He not keep any record of wrongs? No. And listen, I'm not just pulling out one scripture here. If you ask me, we can go through studies there's lots of scriptures that show us that God is no longer keeping a record of wrongs. Now, immediately, when I say that, if you think, oh, well, that's great. Now I can go and... Then you've got rocks in your head, dude. <laughs> that's not what it is. That will, that will bring pain and destruction in your life. I mean, he, he keeps no record of wrongs. Um, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Yes, because he knows truth does good. Truth brings health. Truth brings healing. Truth brings deliverance. Truth brings deliverance. People that are stuck in religion or stuck in mindsets or stuck in, stuck in, in relationships that they keep 
feeling that they deserve the abusive husband or wife. That's, that's a little closer to home, right? You know? But, but you know, you can get deliverance from understanding how much God loves you, His intention. You know, the famous scripture, everybody knows, John 3, 16, for God so loved the Christians. Doesn't it say that? Oh, doesn't it say the Christians? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have ever, ever, eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Praise God. But in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the, son, of the only Son of God. You see, God is not going to condemn the people who don't believe. Everybody's condemned already. They self-condemned. They're living this. God is trying to save us. So He's offered us the world that He loves so passionately. Even in Romans 5, it says that while we were still sinners, He loved us, right? So it's so important to get this. And of course, because it's the character and nature of God, um, you see it all over the Scriptures. I love this in John 17. John 17 is such a powerful uh, chapter, but I want you to just read this with me in verse 23. Um, I'm going to just sort of extract this little piece out of context, but you'll see that I in them and you in me, that they might become perfectly one, so that the world, listen to this, they might be fertile, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying to the Father. And he says that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them. He's talking about the world. So that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. You know, you need to bake in that for a while. You need to, you need to think on that for a while. That next time your favorite anti-political party person is on TV, the one that you're not part of, that you dislike so horribly, or the news station anchor that drives you crazy, or you're just like, you know that they are just, they can't help themselves. They can't help themselves. Sinners sin, people. Sinners sin. That's like blaming a dog for barking. Why isn't the dog talking English? Uh, because it's a dog. It's exactly. If you expect your dog to speak English to you, yes, you've got rocks in your head. <laughs> You, you, you can't expect your, your dog to talk to you in English. It's a dog. People, don't expect sinners to be nice to you. They don't have it in them. They're blind. They don't have, they, they are living, they are self-condemned, they are deceived, they are living in a dominion of darkness, not a kingdom. Everybody quotes that scripture wrong. It says we've been delivered from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. A dominion is very different to a kingdom. A do, you are dominated in a dominion. So next time you see those person, understand that God, you and I were there, we're there, we're not there any longer. Praise God. But God, Jesus prays and He says that, that they, this, this whole thing that He prays in John 17 is so powerful because He says, I, I want the world to know 
that you, that, that you love them as much as you love me. Oops. That you love me. God loves the world, every sinner out there, as much as he loves Jesus. Now, that's hard for our little human ego system pluses and minuses scales to work on who deserves love and who doesn't deserve love. But, but Jesus said it this way, if you love your enemy, what good is that to you? If you only love those, I mean, sorry, if you love the, the people that love you, what good is that to you? You've heard it said, love your enemies, you know, I mean, love your friends and hate your enemies. And he says, but I'm telling you, love your enemies. And that way you like your father in heaven. God loves his enemies. He's not ready to blitz anybody. No hurricane, no tornado, nothing that you've been told has, is God destroying anybody. Yes, it's true. Absolutely, 100% gospel truth. He loves you. In fact, the good news, if you don't understand the good news, then you need to come to D group with T and get, get laid on because that's another, that's the, one, the third filter. You've got to filter everything through the good news. You have to filter everything through the finished work of the cross. What Jesus accomplished through his death, his burial, after he died, what he accomplished in the grave by having victory over sin, hell, the grave, death, being raised out of the grave, what victory he had, everything, all of those things are filters that we, uh, we can rightly divide and we'll have to, to build on those. Um, John 13, I'm going to get into this one. You know this one well. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, which we've heard so often, but we never finish that one in our brains. We love one another just as I have loved you. You see, until we get that part first, you have got to grasp that you are loved. You can only love one another when you know how much he loves you. And that's all over the scriptures. First John 4, and I'll try and, and, try and move along here. Um, uh, there's so many scriptures in First John 4 because the whole chapter is about God's love again. Beloved, let us love one another, verse 7. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Man, I could stop there in verse 7 for ages because that is the mark of maturity. Not how many miracles you do. Jeez, anybody can do a miracle. If you think it's only the mature people that can do miracles, you're wrong. If somebody is a jerk and they don't know how to love, but they can do a miracles, this, what does this scripture say? Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 16 and so we have come to know and believe the love of God. I love those, those two scriptures, to know and believe the love of, that God has for us. And then it says it again, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. You see, it's synonymous. It's settling down, understanding God's love, abiding in God's love. By this is love perfected in us that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Sorry, I don't want to, let me just skip down to this. I don't want to get past the fear post. Verse 19, how about that? We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. It's the same thing. If anyone says in verse 20, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. 
Sorry, guys, now you have to love me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I will love you. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. But we see this, this, this desire. If we went and broke down John 17 and, and 16 and 17, you see that God's command is that this is how the world will know that we're his disciples, by our love one for another. This whole thing is about love. The right from the beginning, from since be before creation, God loved the world. God's intention for the world was to be good. God's intention was to bring God, man into fellowship, even after the fall. Even after the fall. Do you know that we actually have a higher standard with God than Adam? That'll go and mess with your brain. Adam was just a created. We are now, we are now sons of God. We are the bride of Christ. We are seated with Him in heavenly places. There's a whole bunch of, of, of uh, things that way exceed the Adamic promises and covenants, if you want to call them that. But God's love, I, I love the whole, the, the whole romance when we, we've done it in marriage groups over here and people, have, if you've done any marriage courses, but marriage in itself is an illustration of God's love. It's the most practical. God's love is, and the bride of Christ, the whole illustration of God even up to the sexual part, is an illustration of God's love. It's an illustration of this whole process about how much God intensely and passionately loves us and loves the world. And so we're commanded to, one, receive this love because he, we love because He first loved us. We have to get rooted and grounded in this love, which Ephesians 3, etc. gets, and be rooted and grounded, height, depth, length, and breadth, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. You can't, you see, you can't escape working and understanding the love of God. It, it, is, it is part of God's absolute fundamental DNA, if you want to call it that. Every, not that He is a physical being, but He is a spiritual being, but every part of Him is love. And so when we understand that, then God doesn't act outside of love. And not your definition of love, not my definition of love, God's definition of love as revealed through the Word of God. And God's definition of love will be loving. He will, sweetheart, why don't you go and sell everything that you have and come and follow me? Now, that wasn't a word for you necessarily, but you know that's what Jesus said, says about the rich young ruler. That was the, the money thing held him back. Jesus put his finger on the thing that was the separation of lordship. And Jesus could say, it literally says that. Jesus looked at the young ruler when he said, oh, I've kept all the commandments. I've done this. I've done that. I've kept all of them. What else do I need to do? And Jesus said, mm, this thing you lack. It says he, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, go and sell, give your money to the poor and come follow me. Why? Because Jesus said, this is more important. In life, you've got your priorities upside down. But that was in that ver very specific situation. That plagued me because I thought, but that means every Christian is, can't be a businessman. Every Christian can't, you know, you've got to be poor because you've got to just give all your money away. Has any of you ever thought that? You know, but, but it might be. What I'm, just, what I'm trying to illustrate here is that the love of God will not always say the comfortable thing. The love of God is prepared to tell you the hard thing that you need to hear. The hard thing that's separating you from the truth that will bring you freedom. 
the hard thing that will bring you into life abundantly. That's the love of God. But you know what? I hear Christians all the time choose comfort and say, oh, I feel the peace of God. Guys, there's a big difference between the peace of God and following your flesh. Please. Please. God, God's love loves, loves you to the... And I'm not saying, remember, God's love will not hurt. Love, God's love will not crush. Jesus, going again, my, my very first filter. Jesus didn't break arms, give disease, didn't do anything. So don't put that on God. Because I've heard religion again say... I literally sat down with a guy. We had a conversation. Well, God loves us so much that he, he will stop at nothing. Nothing. Like he will even and start telling stuff like the devil will do to you. Crush you, break you, destroy you. Just to show you how much he loves you. Jeez. Yeah, amen. So then Corin, I just want to wrap up here. But, but Corin mentioned that scripture already. Um, Romans 8, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35, shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, nor things present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There, obviously, the topic of love is, is even bigger than the covenants, but understand this filter. It's important to understand that if God, you've got to, God speaks a language of love. God speaks a language of love. If you don't understand that he's speaking in a tone and language of love, you will not rightly divide the word of God. You remember my illustration, right? My lang language illustration. I'm going back to South Africa. Well, we, Corin and I leave today. You, some of you know that. And we've got, we're getting in a better, are we going back? Yeah, we're going for three weeks. And we're getting a, we're getting a, heart, we're getting a, a preacher in that's better than me. So you will be getting <laughs> So, no, but, but, but I've told you before, and I'll just finish off it, but it's, the language of love is essential to understand. In South Africa, there's a 11 official languages, Zulu and Tosa and Sutu and Tswana and Venda, and I can't remember, I mean, all of them. There's 11 official languages, and Karen and I speak Afrikaans, and I see Hank and Janine, and even Bert at the back speaks Afrikaans. Hey, you've got more Afrikaans speakers. In any case, but Zulu, you know, I, I've told you the illustration. I was sitting at a friend's house. I was in my car. He had a, he had a vicious dog. And on his thing, he, there was three languages. It's danger, and then Afrikaans, it was gefaar. It had a picture of a dog, gefaar is the, the Afrikaans word for uh, danger. And then it had ngozi, which is the Zulu word for, for danger. So normally, it's those three languages they often put on signs. You can actually look it up. Um, you'll find images on Google. But I remember thinking ngozi, oh, that's Zulu for danger. But then my brain got cross-wired, and I, and I read the word gefaar in English. So I don't know how it happened, but I read the word gefaar because I'd been to an Afrikaans community, Afrikaans school, and, and so I was like, gefaar, and my brain thought, oh, I've just read that in English. So then I tried to read danger in English, and I was like, I do not know what that word is in English. I've like never heard of danger. 
How do you what is I know what it means, but I've never heard of the word dancher. Has that ever happened to you guys? <laughs> it was like, but my brain got cross-wired. And anybody who's, it, 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 was, it was so interesting. I could not process the word because I was trying to read it in the wrong language. That's what it's like trying to read the word of God. If you don't know, he speaks a language of love. If you don't understand that he speaks a language of love, you will misunderstand him every time. He's there to speak a language of love. He's always speaking in a tone. He's always speaking and he wants to lead you into abundant life. He's always wanting to help you and not hurt you. He's always trying to show you the best way. Not, the better, not just the better way, the best way. He's always trying to give you a solution out of your situation. Always. Why? Because he's the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. He leads us beside still waters. He, he takes us into green pastures. He, he sets a table. He, we, all we need to do, it's real simple. We just need to listen and follow. That's, what, that's about it. But we see if we don't trust him because we think, I don't know, oh, he's going to blitz me because I didn't take the trash out this morning or kick the dog or whatever the case is, you know, you know, then, then you feel you carry the guilt and shame. Like I spoke about earlier, there was somebody here, or maybe online, shame. You know that shame, you expect judgment, condemnation. You're expecting, you're waiting for the hammer to fall. Have you ever seen somebody who's expecting a, to be hit? We've got a lot of Christians like that. They walk around like that internally. They're like, just waiting for the hammer to fall. And then when something happens... The washing machine breaks down. Oh, I knew something was going to happen. God gotcha or got him or it's terrible. Then we point our fingers at somebody else who's going through tragedy. <laughs> I knew God would get you. That isn't the love of God, people. We've got to learn to understand and read the word of God. The language of love. Amen. So that filter is super important to understand to get a hold on, and that's a whole topic in itself. Okay, let's pray. Father, we, we're so grateful for your love and goodness to us. Thank you for, thank you for the power of what you're speaking to us. Thank you for the power of being able to rightly divide just with these simple filters that you've already given us, Lord. We just, we just, we ask you, Lord, I ask you to give us a passion for your word like we've never had, a hunger to know you and to read your word and to, to live in light and the love in the light and truth of your word. Father, I just pray that because I know that as we follow your word and establish our life on, uh, on not homeowner improvements, but we get our lives founded on, your, on these truths of your word, that we'll truly follow and walk in abundant life. We honor you, Father. We give all glory to you for our lives. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for a revelation of your great love. Hearts that do not know you, Father, watching or other, that do not know your love. Father, I just thank you that you manifest powerful revelation of your love in our hearts as we open and yield to that in Jesus' name. Amen.